reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. You can find that in your pew Bibles on page 1,531. Um, We have been going through the Gospel of Matthew for some time now, and I I originally had it planned, set up, where we would get to this passage today, Um, but something came up and we had a family tragedy. I had to go away for a week, and so we're going to jump over the two blind men and get to the Palm Sunday passage on Palm Sunday, and we'll we'll get back to the blind men uh, in a couple weeks after Easter. Um, that being said, let's let's jump into the scripture. Um, Matthew twenty one verses one through eleven. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them. Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it be filled with joyful shouts of Hosanna. It was the year 71 AD and the Roman general Titus was entering into the city of Rome after having victoriously defeated the Jews in Jerusalem. He had laid siege to the city and and utterly destroyed both its walls and its temple. And because of this victory of his, he was granted by Caesar what was known as a triumph. Now a triumph was a procession into Rome as a hero. It was a time when the the people would celebrate their champions, those who who brought greatness to their nation. And this triumph would would begin outside the city walls where where, where many people would be standing and and cheering and applauding as they welcomed home this victor. And at the head of this procession would be the dignitaries, the the senators displaying their approval of this hero. They would then be followed by by these loud trumpeters, and they would blast their horns, grabbing the attention of people from miles away. After them came, came the wagons that were full of the spoils of war, gold and silver and precious stones. Next would come these white bulls, which would soon be offered up as as sacrifices to their gods, giving giving them thanks for aiding Titus in his victory. 
After these bowls would come the insignias of the Jews, symbolic items of a defeated people. Things such as the menorah and the Pentateuch would be paraded around in mockery and derision. These would be closely followed by any of the captured prisoners, demonstrating the disgrace of that fallen nation. One of those prisoners, Simon Bar-Giora, was the leader of a Jewish faction called the Sicarii. He was one of those prisoners who would later be publicly executed in the forum as a part of this celebration. Next would come Titus's bodyguards, those who were his best soldiers, men who were loyal unto death. Think of the secret service of that time. Then came Titus himself, riding high upon his chariot, displaying his, his power and authority to all, for all to see. And he was accompanied by his father, Vespasian, who, by the way, happened to be Caesar. Following that chariot would be his legion of soldiers, thousands of them. But they were not dressed for battle. They were not in their armor. Rather, they were wearing togas, and they were donning wreaths upon their head, indicating both victory and peace. And to top it all off, this triumph would one day be commemorated with with an erection of of a monument called the Arch of Titus, something that still stands to this day. Now, why am I telling you all this? What what does this have to do with Palm Sunday? Actually, a lot. For these triumphs were were the customs of the world during the first century A.D., they, they were kind of like our ticker tape parades uh, that, that we used to have. Well, you know, after wars, we would welcome in the veterans and cheer them on the streets. This is what this was. It's heroes, emperors being celebrated by the people. They, were, they would welcome them into the city, into the capitals, with great fanfare, with great praise. And these champions were were lauded as patrons and often worshipped as gods. And General Titus was no exception to the rule. He was loved by his people and would eventually go on to become the next Caesar after his father's death. But today is Palm Sunday. It is the day when the true king entered into his city. A day when he was welcomed in a triumph of his own. How would he be greeted? Who would laud his name? Who would praise him? What type of fanfare would the King of Kings and Lord of Lords receive? From our scripture reading, we begin to grasp some of the differences between Titus' triumph in Rome and and Jesus' triumph in Jerusalem. You see, unlike Titus, there were no senators leading Jesus into the city. No dignitaries entrusting him to the people. I mean, sure, Israel didn't have a senate. But where were the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Jewish high council? How come those so-called leaders of the Jews were not walking before Jesus, giving their approval of this king? And unlike Titus, there were no white bulls to be sacrificed. No offerings to give thanks to the Lord. Yet we know that there was an offering in this procession. 
the precious Lamb of God. But unlike Titus, there were no spoils of war, nor prisoners to be executed, no defeated enemies to be paraded around and humiliated. But there was one there who would soon be crucified upon a cross, who would suffer and die as a criminal. But unlike Titus, there was no chariot for Jesus to sit high upon as a display of his mighty power. Just a lowly donkey saddled with some cloaks. And unlike Titus, Jesus didn't have an army, a legion following behind him. But what he did have was his 12 disciples, though one of them would soon betray him. And unlike Titus, Jesus did not have the emperor sitting next to him. No one to, to, to magnify his glory. Yet, he was in perfect communion with his Father and with the Holy Spirit. And finally, unlike Titus, who had an arch as a memorial within the city, something that stands to this day, Jesus' memorial would be built outside the city walls. His would be a wooden cross, something that would rot and decay, a symbol of both death and shame. This is the fanfare of our Lord as he entered into his holy city. Let's, let's take a closer look at our passage and see what we can learn. Look at, look at verses 1 through 5. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on, on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. It was the beginning of Passover week, and thousands had already traveled to Jerusalem in order to celebrate this feast. And thousands more were still on their way. And these crowds would, would soon find out that, that Jesus had come as well, and that he would be entering into the city of David. For many, particularly those who came from these far-off lands, this would be their first encounter with Jesus. How would these people react to this man whom they heard so many rumors about? What would be their first impression of him? But more importantly, how would Jesus introduce himself? How, how would he demonstrate to these people who he is? That he is their Messiah. That he is their King. Jesus would choose to enter into his city Riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But why on a donkey? Why not get a war horse? Why not get a, a, a chariot to ride high upon like Titus? I mean, he is God after all, is he not? Shouldn't his entrance be just as grand, if not grander? 
In verse 4, we learn that, that all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Look, look in your Bible to Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariot from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You see, this Jesus comes to you bringing peace. He doesn't come in this great display of power, though he could have. He doesn't enter into his city lording it over you with authority from on high. Rather, he humbles himself and rides on a lowly donkey. War horses and chariots, they are not needed. For he brings peace to the nation, and his rule is from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And he is righteousness incarnate, bringing salvation to his people. This, this is why he sent for that donkey. For this would be his introduction as the Messiah. He is this Prince of Peace. And no longer would he hide his identity. No longer would he remain a secret. For he was now disclosing himself for those who had eyes to see. He was making a, a declaration that he is the King of the Jews, this son of David. And he has come to bring peace to those who have eyes to see. Let's continue. Look at, look at verses 6 through 9. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! Shouts of joy. The disciples did as he said. They, they brought these animals to him and then they saddled them with their own cloaks. And then we see this very unique thing happen. As he rode into the city, the crowds gathered on each side. They were outside the city welcoming him in. It was this unplanned makeshift triumph. You see, these, these people recognize Jesus for who he is, the son of David. They heard about his miracles and his authoritative teaching. Some of them even witnessed it. They remembered their Sabbath lessons from Zechariah and understood what it meant to ride in on a donkey. And thus they believed that this Jesus was their Messiah. He was their king. And now they were proclaiming it to the world. 
This is why they laid down their cloaks on the road and those palm branches. For this was a sign of respect and dignity. The king should not have to dirty his feet. Modern day saying we have is rolling out the red carpet. Do we still say that nowadays? I don't know. I mean, mostly it's used for Hollywood, right? Those, those stars, they roll out the red carpet. They get their awards. But the tradition, it actually goes back to a time of royalty where, where kings and, and queens, they, they walked on red carpet in order to display their majesty. But there was no red carpet for our Lord. Instead, people used what was available to them. They, they took off the cloaks from their, from their own backs and spread them on the road. And the poor among them, those who didn't own a cloak, they, they, they cut down the palm branches and they, and they just laid them on the ground. This was a display, a, a recognition of His Majesty. They were honoring their Messiah. But they did more than just that. I mean, listen to their shouts. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What a theologically rich welcome that came from the mouths of these people. There are, there are four things that we should note here. Four things that the crowd was communicating. And we find the first in this word, Hosanna. Now, Hosanna is not a Greek word that you would normally find. The New Testament was written in Greek. But it is a combination of two different Hebrew words. And the only place they can be found together in the Old Testament is in that psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 118, particularly in verse 25. Look at verses 25 and 26. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. This word, Hosanna, comes from the Hebrew, Hoasayanaanah. Now, Hoasaya means to deliver or to save. And Anah means to pray earnestly or to beseech, or to beg. So when you put them together, you, you could have this translation that says, save us, we pray. Or deliver us, we, we beg of you. These crowds were crying out for Jesus to rescue them. They were looking for deliverance. They were looking for a deliverer. For they were a broken and lowly people who knew their condition. They recognized that they were helpless in their own strength and that they needed a Savior. And thus they cried out, Hosanna! How about you? Do you understand your need for deliverance? That because of your sins, that, that you are deserving of hell. And the only one who can make you clean in God's eyes is this Messiah. The one who died on the cross in your stead. Hosanna is a cry for help. 
a, a plea for salvation, a salvation which only God can deliver. Now, the second thing to note about the shouts of these people is this title, the Son of David. And by now, after going through Matthew for so long, I hope you know that this is a reference that is directly related to the King of Israel. You see, David was promised by God that he would always have a descendant upon the throne of Israel. And so to be called the the Son of David was to be seen as the Messiah, the very one who who would establish God's eternal kingdom. Jesus was now being recognized by this crowd as David's heir. And they were declaring him as their rightful king. What about you? How How do you view Jesus? Is he just some moral teacher who who spoke some wise words a long time ago? Or is he more than that? Is he your king? Is he your Lord? Does he hold authority over your life? The third thing we see in this phrase that the crowds chanted was, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now when a person comes in the name of someone, it means that they are acting on that person's behalf. That they are their representative or ambassador, so to speak. That the reputation of that person falls upon their shoulders. Jesus was entering into the city of David in the name of the Lord. In the name of Yahweh. And this has significance. For the fame and the character of God was upon his shoulders. But when you think about it, who else could bear such a weight? Who else could represent the Lord Almighty except for the God-man, Jesus Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is God? That he is a creator of all things? That, that he is sovereign over even the little details in life? This expression, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, communicates this thought. But it was also an answer to the people's crying out of Hosanna. It was a response to their call for help. For when they shouted Hosanna to the son of David, they they were crying out, Deliver us, we beg, O King of Israel. And then they quickly answered their own prayer by saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so in one sense, Hosanna is this desperate plea, but in another, it was a shout for joy because the one who would rescue them was now riding in on a donkey. Which leads us to our last line, Hosanna in the highest. Who can be higher than God? Who holds a loftier position than the Almighty? Nobody. So the saying, Hosanna in the highest, it could be rightly translated as this, salvation comes from God. Hosanna, remember, it means save us, we pray. God is the one who will save his people. And so when we, when we put all this together, what we see the crowd saying here is this, 
Save us, please, O King of Israel. Blessed are you who represents our God. Salvation comes from our God. And truer words could never be spoken. These crowds, they were correct in their praise of Jesus, for Christ had come to rescue them. And he came to rescue you as well. Will you shout, Hosanna? Will you lay your cloak before him and recognize him as king? But not everybody was filling the streets, were they? Look at verses 10 and 11. These are our last two verses. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus had now entered into Jerusalem and everybody was asking about him. Remember, this was Passover week and Jews from all over the world had traveled to this city. They had come from distant lands and so for many of them, this was their first interaction with Christ. With this man who came riding in on a donkey to shouts of Hosanna. So when they were asking, who is this Jesus? For some, they really didn't know. They were ignorant to all that had been happening. But what they could see was that the whole city was stirred. That tension was building and one could get the sense that, that something significant was about to happen. And it all hinged upon this one man. For some, for those who came out of the city as they welcome in their king, Jesus was their Messiah. He was the one that they looked to to bring them salvation. But for others, Jesus was this unknown entity. Someone they needed to learn about before they could come to a decision. And yet there was a third group, was there not? Inside the city, those religious leaders who, who, who were not part of that triumph. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Those who did not welcome in this king. Instead, they, they saw him as a, as a rabble-rouser, one who was stirring up trouble as he defied the status quo. They did not recognize him as this son of David. How did they react when they heard the crowds? What did they do when, when there were shouts of Hosanna overtaking the silence? You see, this triumphal entrance of Christ was exactly what they feared. Jesus was making a public declaration of who he is. That he is the Messiah. That he is the one who was to come to deliver his people. But they were not seeking salvation. No. Because they did not view themselves as lost. And so instead of praising their king, they stayed within the city gates and began to plot his death instead. Who is this Jesus? Who is this one who comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey? 
Maybe you are here today and you already know that Jesus is King. And you sing Hosanna with a, with a joyful heart because you understand that Christ rescued you from your sins and that you are forgiven. But perhaps you are sitting on the fence and you're, you're asking yourself, who is this Jesus? Who is this one for whom the people cry out, Hosanna? You are unsure if he is safe, if he is trustworthy. You might be asking yourself, is he really God in human flesh? Did he really die for my sins? And if so, what does that mean for me? Believe me when I tell you, Jesus is God. He became a man and lived a sinless life. He then went to the cross where he paid the penalty for your sins. And then he rose from the dead three days later, demonstrating to the whole world that he is this King of kings and Lord of lords, the very one who has mastery even over death. And what that means for you is that you too can have life in his name. Dear friends, which side will you fall on? Will you, will you venture outside the city walls to receive your king with shouts of Hosanna? Or will you remain inside the city like those religious leaders, indignant and unwelcoming, holding tightly onto your pride as you refuse to believe? You see, without your heart being humbled, you cannot recognize Jesus for who he truly is. That he is your king. That he is your Messiah. Your savior. And that he comes to you humbly. Riding on a donkey. In order to bring you peace. Turn from your sins. And trust in him. Cry out. Hosanna. Let us pray. Father. This story we read today, this triumphal entry of our king as he went into your holy city, it's a message for us today as much as it was for them way back when. For we are faced with the same choice, the same question. Will we venture out of the city and welcome our king with shouts of Hosanna or will we be stubborn? And remain within our man-made walls, rejecting the peace that your Son brings to us. We must all answer this question. Who is this Jesus? My prayer for today is that everyone who is here, that they would place their faith in Christ. That they would turn from their sins and trust in him and him alone. We can only do this with your help, with the power of the Holy Spirit producing faith within us. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.